This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Nights Podcast, where a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. And Boss, the dogs sure were barking all day yesterday between the hedges. It was an electric day as they just absolutely demolished UAB. What were your uh, initial thoughts post-game? For all the whining and complaining about who should have started and the quarterback situation, Kirby Sp- Paul Smart knows what he's doing, folks. There's really no question about it. If nothing else, yesterday should have proven that. For all the just bemoaning and everything, just let the man do his job. He he knew what he was doing. And let's face it. I mean, that was not a slouch team that we demolished yesterday. It that sure was probably a better team that we're going to play the next our first two sec games with vandy and south carolina they're defending conference usa champs and they're favored to win this year that's a good talented team they're not normal sec competition but they're better than the bottom part of our conference right now they just are and we dump truck them so for all the bemoaning and whining of our fan base you know about the the quarterback decision you know we made he made the right call Yes, repeat after your favorite co-host. In Kirby, we trust. In Kirby, <laughs> we trust. <laughs> um, also, to your point on uh, UAB, which I absolutely agree with, hey, homie, they won their opener 31 nothing against the Jacksonville State team that just went into dope last night and ripped the Seminoles' hearts out. So yeah. something, something to be said for that, too. Um, yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I thought it was just an absolutely dominating performance, number one. But number two, and this goes back to what they did in the last four minutes of the opener against Clemson. This is what championship teams do. The standard was the same this week that it was last week. They came out and just absolutely ate all day long. Um, And I think a lot of credit should go to Dog Nation, right? Um, The atmosphere yesterday was electric. You could tell they fed off that. It also affected UAB. UAB had 11 penalties yesterday. Uh, They never really looked comfortable, never really looked right. Tyler Johnston looked frazzled all day long. Georgia's defense just absolutely decimated them yesterday. Um, It still sticks in my craw a little bit that the shutout got ruined by the pick six because that defense deserved to just hang a goose egg. I mean, not that it goes against the defense, but I'm just saying from a pure aesthetic perspective, it should read 56, nothing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was fantastic and you are absolutely right. Um, I just, I, I don't get the segment of the fan base that cannot be happy unless they are pissing and moaning about coach smart, like open your eyes. 
Like, we have to try to tell you guys. Like, we are living in the glory days right now. Soak it in, man. Breathe in living in the era of Kirby Paul Smart. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I will say, too, man, I heard something or saw something on Twitter, and now I've seen conflicting reports about it from folks that were in the stadium. Maybe it was because ESPN said something about it, and because of their dumbass programming, I feel like most of the country didn't get to see the dogs if you were watching on TV for the first two drives of the game because they still had that sorry Tennessee Pittsburgh game on. Um, and on two channels, it was on two channels. Just uh, two it was channels. on ESPN and ESPN too, because you know, yeah, two channels needed to see that the, the Vols get their ass beat. But somebody on Twitter made the comment that Mark Jones and Robert Griffin said something like Stetson Bennett either got booed or there were boos when he was announced as the starter. But then I've read today accounts from folks that were in Sanford yesterday that said, we didn't hear any boos. So I don't know what's real or not real about that. I really, really hope that didn't happen. Um, that would be really disappointing if it did. One of the reasons being, and Kirby said this in his post-game press conference, and you talk about a nail on the head comment. He said, what did he say? I'm going to mess up the quote. Nobody's been as good to the University of Georgia as Stetson Bennett. Was it something like that? Yeah, something like that. And boy, is he absolutely right about that. I mean, if you can't get behind the mailman and root for the mailman, something's wrong on your insides. Like all that kid does is show up, never complains, loves UGA. And, you know, I, I still don't really know what people are that upset about. What did he do last year that people are so upset about? He was four and two. He lost the game in Alabama. They were winning at half and he was playing well, got exposed a little bit in the second half of that game. Then he gets injured in the Florida game where he was having a good game and they were up 14, nothing when he goes out. So like, what are people so salty about with this kid? Like they should be doing a handspring for him. It's fan. It's the segment of the fan base and fans in general, football fans in general. It's the, the stat guys that, that drive me insane that they look at a stat line and they look at their stat, his stat line from Florida and people were doing this all week long on the message boards. And it was driving me nuts. They looked at his stat line from Alabama and they look at his stat line from Florida and they, they compared, they were like in his two losses last year. These were last year. These were, this was his stat line. And I'm like, okay, but after he got hurt, it was clear he couldn't throw the ball. So yeah, he is against Florida. Clearly his stats were terrible. And yeah. if you want to compare that to the guy that was healthy, his stats were just as bad. So yeah. in that game, so it's not really an apples to apples comparison, but in Alabama still was, as, as you just said, the only team to lead Alabama at the half last year, the only quarterback to lead the team to that. And then they bring up the measurables and then it's like, Oh, you know, he had a lot of balls batted down. So does every quarterback. It's not like, it's not like he had an egregious amount more than the average quarterback, but they're like, Oh, he's, you know, whatever, however tall he is. Bryce young is the exact same height as Stetson Bennett. No, Alabama fans aren't complaining about his height. Not comparing yeah. those two. I'm just not, not comparing those two in talent wise. I'm just saying in general, they're, they are the same stature. Yeah, I don't get it, man. I, I feel like, number one, Stetson has a lot of moxie. I think he shows that every time he plays. The guys on the roster obviously respect him. I mean, if you hearken back even to 2017, 
what guys like Roquan Smith and Mel Tucker were saying even then about him when he was running the scout team, right? Like guys that obviously have a lot of respect for him. And brother, he can play. I mean, he made some plays yesterday. And granted, well, we're obviously talking about all this in the context of yesterday, okay? How he played against UAB. This is not any type of projection or saying anything more than that. We're just giving credit where credit was due for how he played yesterday and how he's played in the past. Let's just put that out there to start. But he had a nice scramble yesterday. He's mobile enough to keep plays alive, which he showed in the Auburn and Tennessee games last year. And I thought the cool thing for him yesterday on the, on the second play of the game was hitting that big play to Jermaine. I mean, that was all carry, that throw. It wasn't like the long play to Brock where it was like the wheel and he hits him kind of 20 yards out and then Brock makes the play going in. I mean, both throws to Arian and to Jermaine, dude, he had to, he had to sling it a little bit, which was the big knock last year, right? It was, oh, defensive coordinators are just not going to respect him deep because he can't throw deep. So, man, I felt great for him that, that he came out and did that. And let's talk about the mechanics of this a little bit because it is astonishing, right? He starts the game five for five, and what, three of the first five completions were for 60 yards or more. And yeah. four, four of the five, am I right on this? Four of the five went for touchdowns or only the three of the five went for touchdowns? He was five for five for 246 and four, three, touchdowns, right? four touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, four touchdowns. Because he had Brock, Jermaine, Arian, Ken- and then Kenny. 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 How about my man? How about my boy? I will, Your boy. D- detour. The bus detour. is going to start right now. We got to get on the Kenny bus for a minute. Kenny with a nice play, popping the ball back to himself and getting in the house. I was going crazy. Yeah. I went down and watched uh, with the Charleston uh, UJ Alumni Association yesterday down at home team, and I was going crazy. I was telling everybody, I'm my man, Kenny McIntosh, baby. I'm driving a Kenny bus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was fantastic. I was so pumped up for him. So, yeah, that was awesome. But, yeah, I mean, that stat line is insane. And let me tell you this, too. He throws the five touchdown passes which ties a Georgia record. I looked up the record book today. The, the other guys who have done that, I'm going to give you some names, okay? David Green, DJ Shockley, Matt Stafford, Joe Cox, Aaron Murray, Stetson Bennett. Aaron Murray did it twice. I will give you a distinction, though. Aaron Murray and Stetson Bennett, the only two to accomplish that feat, five touchdown passes in and a, a half. half. Yeah. Which I think makes it even more insane, right? Yeah, and actually, um, it was kind of funny when when I heard about that in the half. It's I distinctly remember the game about that though because of one of our previous guests, uh, Candler Cook, when we were talking to him about because that was the game he got to play in. So New I Mexico just, State, yeah, yeah, New Mexico right. State it just brought everything full circle. It's like I was like, oh yeah, I remember that we were talking to him. So um, oh, that, that's a really good pull. I would yeah. not have put those two pieces together. That's yeah, a it phenomenal. Just, pull. That was first thing I thought about when I thought about that of the New Mexico State game because you remember I, that New Mexico State game. It most of Murray's, I think four of Murray's were in the second quarter, if I remember correctly, because we were that was a closer game in the first quarter than than that was supposed to be, and then we just yes, blew up in the second quarter. Kind of opposite of this game, you know, sets and through. I think four of his in the first quarter, or three of his yeah. in the first quarter, and then the one right at the beginning of the second quarter. So, but I, let's talk about Carson just a little bit. I don't want to talk about, about it too much, but Carson did look to me, he, he's clearly got talent. There's no question that yeah. he's got some talent, but to me, I think the reason that Kirby clearly went with Stetson is he looked a little bit like a deer in headlights. 
and he looked his footwork was antsy it was very clear and yep. the, take the pick out of it i you know that the game was out of hand it was an overthrow that happens it was a good play by the defender but you know that that stuff happens but even on the drive where we got the touchdown it clearly looked like he was antsy and kind of scared to make a mistake so and it kind of harkens back to what Kirby was saying in the offseason. It's like, we know what we have with Stetson. So yeah. we're going to give the, sec- the second team reps to Brock and Carson to see what we have with these guys because we don't know. We want to have them develop. We know what Stetson can do for us. So we're just going to have him prepare like he always does and have see what they can do. And that's the sign of a good coach. Have them develop in practice to play with the better players, play with the twos, and then have Stetson just kind of you know prepare the way he does. And I mean... Setson even said he prepares like he's the guy every week, regardless of who's hurt, who's not. So here's my thing with Carson. And I, I'm just going to tell you, I am, I am the type of fan that I want all of them to succeed, right? So I'm rooting for all of them, right? But my first longer-term exposure to him was this year at G-Day. He got a lot of run. He was... I guess the starter for the black team. Am I right about that? Or maybe JT was black and he was red. It it's it doesn't matter. But he got a lot of run in the spring game. And and what became evident really early on, to your point, I think this is right on the money, his footwork's just not quite there. And it causes his launch angle to be off more than you feel comfortable with, whether that's when the deep ball that he tends to overthrow, I mean, I think at the G day he overthrew Arian Smith like four times, which that seems physically impossible. Yeah. He's like a, uh, he's like a human jet. So I don't know how you overthrow him, but he did. And again, I think that's all launch angle and positioning and all these things. I also think he has difficulty once you get past the first progression. So if that first read isn't where he wants it to be, he gets very antsy very quickly. And I'm not unconvinced that's not what happened on the pick. I don't know if that was his first read or that was his second read or what, but I, I think the only issue that I had with going with Stetson was purely narrative-based. It had nothing to do with capability or the actual choice because – to Kirk Kerbstreet's point yesterday during college game day, they brought up this subject. And said, you know, JT's warming up today, or uh, some folks think JT might play today. And they're like, what do you think, Kirk? And Kirk goes, Georgia could just play with its defense and its punt team, and they could punt on first and 10 every offensive possession, and they will win every game from today until they go to the Plains to visit Auburn. <laughs> He goes, they could grab a student out of the student section and have him hand off every single possession. They will beat every team until they get to Auburn. <laughs> and he's right. Um, so I didn't really care one way or the other who played quarterback yesterday because they were going to win the football game, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's irrelevant. It's more a nice luxury to have that they could give JT a breather. Um, which he obviously wanted to play yesterday. He was apparently positioning to play pregame. He came out and warmed up. Apparently, he was giving thumbs up to the coaching staff a bunch. Like, look, I feel good. Let me sling it. Uh, but why play it? Like, yeah. That oblique is one of those things, man. You see it a lot in baseball. 
And it's just something that doesn't go away. And whether it's thrown in baseball or throwing a football, you know, I think the oblique injury, especially for the quarterback, I think a lot of guys at different positions on the football field could probably play through an oblique because you're, you're not maybe using it that much. But for a quarterback, that's a tough injury, man, because it's a lot of rotation in that position. And so just rest it. I mean, it, I, I, I thought that was the perfect call. And then to get back to my original point, the only issue I had with it was the semantics of how it all happened. So like Tuesday, apparently Kirby's directly asked who's number two or is Carson Beck number two. And I will say when you do go back and read the quote, he does kind of layer it and says, Carson's been running with the twos. And then he kind of caveats it with Stetson's also been getting some reps and maybe we should have read more into it then and gone. Hmm. That's curious. But I think every, what everybody took was because everybody's been wanting to know who's the two, right? Like, yeah. And so I think that was the piece that that got taken and run with. And so maybe from a narrative perspective, that's not fair. But when I first heard the news that Stetson might go, I was like, well, that's kind of a tough, tough message to the kid. If you come out in the media and said, you're the two. And then when the rubber actually meets the road and you've got to play the two, oh, hold up. You're only the two if we don't have to play you. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I, again, I remember saying in the off season, this is before G day. This goes way back. We were talking about, you know, who was number two behind JT. And it was, we were talking about Brock. Right. And I remember talking about beginning of the season. I was like, you know, if JT gets hurt and JT goes down in Clemson, that I would say that Stetson's probably going to be number two early in the season. And that Brock will probably come on later on. This was Carson wasn't even thought at that point, but this is before G day. This is before spring camp. Seriously, you should pull the audio on that because that is precisely what you said. And that yeah. was, you talk about nail on the head, brother. Like, you buried that. Like, you should, you should pop that in. Insert here. <laughs> Boss calling his shot like four months ago. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Here's a clip from our G-Day recap discussing QB2 potential between Brock Vandegrift and Stetson Bennett. I fully expect JT to take every single rep against Clemson. And this is only if JT were to get hurt against Clemson that he might, that someone else might get reps. And for that specific reason, there's a possibility that Stetson might be QB2. Just because of what you said, we know what we have with him in that type of that, that type of setting that, that he's has the live game reps against big competition. You know, first game of the season. We just don't know what Brock will be at that point. So I would not be surprised if Stetson is QB two September fourth because he's proven what he can do. And in a in a pinch in a game, you know, he's the known commodity. And I mean, it's not he is what he is, and it's better to have the known commodity than the unknown commodity who's going to make mistakes. I mean, really, that's what it is. With young guys, they're going to make mistakes and. Carson showed that yesterday. We don't know what Brock is, and Brock's coming from, you know, smaller school, and who knows what the lights, what it's going to be like when the lights on for him. So, I mean, it's clear that Brock is definitely behind Carson at this point. So, yeah. I don't expect to see now Brock at all this year. But other than you know the really garbage time like yesterday, unless Carson gets hurt. Yeah. I am interested about that because to go back to Gita, I hate to keep going back to Gita, but Brock looked real, man. Like he just looked comfortable and you can just see that he's the coach's kid and you can see 
that he's not intimidated by the moment. And we talked about this when we saw him on the sideline last week in Charlotte. Boy, that Georgia strength and conditioning program hit him just right. Like, yeah, he looks different even from the spring and in a good way. I mean, he looks ready to go. And you do wonder how that'll all shift and change as the season progresses because he, he does have some, some dynamics that are kind of a mix of Carson and a mix of Stetson. You know, he's more mobile like Stetson. He's got a big arm like Carson. You know, he's got, he's kind of a hybrid of those, of those two kids. I just love that what Kirby said in the press conference, he just saying, look, I got a lot of confidence in our quarterback room. And I think he means that. I think all four of those kids he feels great about. And the program should be fired up about that. Georgia fans should be fired up about that. I want to transition off the quarterbacks a little bit because I want to talk to you about the receiving core. And we're going to include Brock Bowers in that just because he is Georgia's leading receiver. So yep. we're, going to, we're going to put him in that box even though he's a tight end. Um, first off, Kiaris still – I didn't count him getting any run at wide receiver yesterday. Did you see him anywhere? I did not. Nope, but he did look good returning punts yesterday. He did. He looked very good. I thought he had a little more burst this week, even than last week. So maybe he's getting a little more comfortable. That's a great sign. He did wasn't wearing I, the brace either. Did you notice that? He wasn't yeah, wearing the brace on that. his knee. I also thought it was a very intentional play call to go deep on that second down play to Jermaine. I think that was that was very thought ahead that we want to get him involved and we want to try to get him loose. I, I think they're trying to give him a little bit of confidence. Did you hear Kirby say uh, Monday or Tuesday? Maybe it was Sunday in his presser saying we've had 41 practices or 42 practices in 2021 and Jermaine's only participated in like 11 of them. Yeah. That was a shocking number. I was not aware of that. I mean, did I remember the hyperextension from the spring? I guess you just discount that he essentially didn't participate in the spring and didn't play in the spring game. But when you think about like a game, just a pure game shape perspective, like physically how he's conditioned and ready, dude, he, he's probably just not there yet. So he did, uh, he did play a lot more yesterday. I mean, I'm, I'm, I always love um, UGA sports does a snap count. And I always love that when they come out because Jermaine played a lot more against Clemson than I thought he did. Cause you just didn't notice him that much. Yeah. But I'm curious to see what his snap count was yesterday in the number. We also had a lot more offensive plays than we did against Clemson yesterday. Um, so I'm curious to see what the percentage was, but I feel like he probably played just as much yesterday. He was just much more noticeable. He also got a lot of the intermediate catches, like the little, like six yard curls slant. Like he got a lot of the smaller, smaller catches too. So, which was non-existent. We didn't even try to run him against Clemson with him. I'm also a little bit bitter that it happened a week later, but I was fired up to see Aaron Smith yeah. get his, <laughs> get his big touchdown. That was my week one prop bet that didn't hit, but um, I think he showed that dude, he could take a top off a of defense in his sleep. I mean, that guy just absolutely motors. And I thought that was the best ball Stetson through all day. I mean, he put that thing on the money, right in stride, right on the back shoulder, even though there was nobody within three states of Arian Smith. That was just a beautiful ball. So, yeah, I thought and that sometimes was great. Those and then, are the, sometimes those are the hardest passes because somebody's so open, you get a little nervous. You're like, oh, crap. They're, they're so wide. And there's nobody within 20 yards of them. So, yeah, ask Tennessee's Joe Milton. He'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice dig. 
he missed about 15 of them yesterday that fit that description perfectly. Um, also, can we just talk about Brock Bowers? Just the absolute electric factory that that kid is. Dude, he just came out of, I mean, like he was shot out of a cannon yesterday. First off, that was a beautiful play call. Did you see what they did? Dude, yeah. all last week against Clemson, they're doing that. And you said it while we're at the game. You're like, I like this new variation of Georgia's toss sweep, this little like yeah. shotgun toss pitch. And, dude, so they fake the toss pitch and then release him. And, oh, it was just such a beautiful play call. I was like, oh, Coach Munkin, that was that was fantastic. And then, dude, he catches that thing and just walk the dog on that UAB defender. I mean, I don't even think it was that terrible an angle. I just don't think the kid thought he was that fast. I really yeah. don't. I don't think we thought he was that fast. I did not. <laughs> I certainly did not. Yeah, there was a couple people at the bar galloping like a horse as he was running down the sideline, and I was here for it. Um, but dude, it was it was it was something. And then he goes and gets himself another one before halftime. I mean, yeah, nice little which, sit in the zone. This is one of those things where you got to take everything that seems like it's a bad thing and turn it into a blessing. And absent Darnell being banged up. Maybe Brock's not getting this amount of run. I think he was going to get playing time just because of how they were talking about him during fall camp. But maybe he's not getting this much playing time. And so he's getting an opportunity over these first couple games and probably again next week. Although they did say Darnell and Tyke were both out the boots uh, Saturday. So that's good news. Yeah. Um, but just think what that creates when Darnell does come back. And then they've got both of them to create mismatches for the defense. I mean, they're just, they're just going to continue to evolve and get better as an offense as those weapons come back. And man, if you're a Georgia fan, you should just be, gosh, you should just be so excited. Like I just woke up so happy this morning. I was like, it was a fun day yesterday. Cause those are not always how those type of games go when you're a Georgia football fan. And it was just a very carefree, easy-watching day, which is what that game should be. And then, you know, a lot of good outcomes for kids all day, which was also great. So when Darnell comes back, I'm very interested to see how the offense looks. Is it going to be Bowers and Darnell? Are Darnell and Bowers going to split those reps? Because I don't really see them taking out Fitzpatrick because they like the way he blocks. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious how the tight end is really going to shake out. Are we going to see one of those moves to the slots? It's just, I don't want to see Brock come off the field, but I really want to see Darnell on the field. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm just very curious how those reps shake out. I, I just don't see them taking out John yet because of the way he blocks. Yeah. Speaking of blocking, dogs, as good as they were in the past game yesterday and as many explosive plays as they had, they ran the ball 38 times yesterday. I think it was for like 160 some yards. And it really seemed and felt like less than that. There just didn't seem to be a lot of holes. Um, None of the yards per carry for the backs looked really good. Do you think that is much more a product of the offensive line still figuring it out and creating lanes? Or do you think it's a combination of, O-line creating lanes and running backs making plays. I think that it's part of the offensive line 
trying to figure themselves out. And I will say that I agree with them not wanting to play Erickson and SVPG at the same time because you don't want to have your top two centers playing in case one of them gets hurt, even though they played them together a lot yesterday. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. I thought that was the best combination when you had Salyer at left tackle, Schaefer, SPPG, Erickson, and McClendon. I thought that I think that's your best combination, the way you finish Clemson, the way you start the game. That's your best combination right now. Because when you take when you took out Salyer, they just plugged in Jones. They never moved Salyer inside yesterday, at least not that I noticed. Yeah. If you're gonna move Salyer inside and put and put Broderick at left tackle, I think and take Schaefer out. I love Schaefer. I love what he's done for the program, but he has not looked good this year. Erickson. Oh, he is. He, Erickson he that's looked your best better line. coming off of his yeah. neck injury, but I don't think they want Erickson and SVPG. So I think that that's probably the most talented line you have. I'm not sure how they'll gel together because it's always got to be one unit is McClendon, Salyer, SVPG. Also, and I saw someone tweet this out today and I wish I could give them credit for, but I don't remember who it was. I think part of the problem is, is that we're rotating the backs a little too much early in the game. And we're yeah. not giving any of them enough. Now, granted, we scored so quickly yesterday, it really didn't matter. But I feel like that the backs get better the more they get in rhythm, especially Zeus. Zeus is better the more carries he gets. And giving him, you know, one carry on one drive and then not giving him a carry for four, four drives later, that's not going to do anything for him. It's just that's not the way he works. And I feel like Milton's the same way. Now, Cook, he's, you know, lightning in a bottle. And Kenny's the same way, I feel like. I feel like those, they, they're not rhythm runners. But I feel like Kendall and Zeus are. You need to stick, give them the rock and let them run with it. Give them, like, you know, five carries in a row. Not on one drive, but back-to-back drives to get them going. Otherwise, they're just going to kind of, they're going to get stagnant and tight. And it's just not going to do well for them. I think there's a lot of merit to that. And this is one of the it's not an issue. It's a, it's a embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways. But one of the things we've talked about all off season is there's not going to be enough footballs to go around. And I think that's, what's been happening so far. There's so many mouths to feed and everybody's still hungry and they've got to figure something out on that. And I, I always am hesitant about this when you have running back rotations, because running back is not like wide out where you really can kind of rotate guys out and go half and half with snaps and all this type stuff at running back. I do think volume is part of it. Like getting enough carries to get into the flow of the game, see how the defense is moving, try to pick up tendencies as you go. I feel like guys are always look different on the 15th carry than they did on the fifth. And part of that is they're in, in the flow of the game. And that's just, I don't know if that's something that's going to happen this year. And I think part of that is they're trying to keep all those guys fed. And I think in an effort to do that, everybody's fed, but everybody's underfed. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect nobody, sense. No, nobody's full. And, uh, you know, I hope it's not an issue. Um, but I, I do think that's something to keep an eye on if at some point they just make a decision and say, look, one of these guys is getting 60% of the carries and is going to be the bell cow. And everybody else is just going to have to fall in line and be a change of pace or give him a breather. And I, I will tell you, I think what's really happening is they don't want to make a decision between Zeus and Kendall. I think James and Kenny are a perfect change of pace backs. 
And I think they're perfectly happy using them in those roles. They are very hesitant to commit one way or the other to Zeus or to Kendall. And I think there's reasons for that. They don't want to commit to Kendall and not let Zeus be the bell cow because of all that Zeus has been through and all he's given through the program and coming back this year. So they want to give him his shine. I get that. Kendall is the young bull comes out of California, highly recruited very much in that girly chub mold. Right. And they want to keep him happy too, because they need that talent and they're especially going to need it next year. Cause he will be the bell cow next year. But I think because of those two competing dynamics, they're really toeing the line with volume between the two of them. Cause man, you just can't tell me if one of those guys was getting 20 carries tonight. I mean, they're both hitting a hundred a game. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. So I, like I told you last week, I think, I think if, if it were me choosing the rotation, I'm starting with Zeus giving Kendall the majority. I'm starting with Zeus because of the reasons you just said, giving Kendall the majority of the bulk through the, through the game, Kenny and um, James are your change of pace. And then I'm closing with Zeus. That's how I'm doing my rotation. That's how I think they're best set up to be the most effective. And that might be what they end up doing when they get into games that are into the bulk of the SEC schedule. And also, it's going to be a war of attrition because, I mean, the odds of all four of them staying perfectly healthy all year is probably probably slim enough. There's going to be little nicks here and there that may keep them out of quarters or halves or games even. So we just don't know. So, I mean, we're, we're two games into the season. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it, it, it will at some point be beneficial to have too many than it would to have yeah. less. And, and let's not forget not about the, Edwards. Edwards looks good every time he touches the ball. Every time he touches the ball, yes. He's impressive every time he touches it. And you talk about yards after contact, man. That kid is like a yak king. And granted, a lot of times it's coming against a tired defense in the fourth quarter, but I don't really care. That kid runs hard. And it's always productive. I mean, he's never taken red numbers when it comes to his rushes. So, yeah, man, they, they just, they've got an absolute stable, which is a great problem to have. But it is going to be an interesting thing to watch as the season goes on. Um, well, I, I'm probably crazy that we've waited this long to talk about it. Let's talk about them junkyard dogs, brother. <laughs> I mean, what is there to say? I mean, they're lights out. Uh, they are fast furious and if jordan davis does not win some awards this year i mean if he stays healthy and does not win some awards this year that's an absolute travesty i i I don't know what else to say about the guy he is every time he's on the field like okay for perfect example my brother-in-law who is not a big college football fan he loves the nfl like we were watching the he, he lives in florida talking to him on the phone watching the game with he's like he's like who is 99 like every time, every play, like every other yeah. play. And I was like, you know, I was explaining to him. I mean, like he watched the Clemson game like afterwards. He was like, who's that big guy they interviewed after the game? I was like, that's Jordan Davis. And I had to explain who he was and stuff like that. It's always, he stands out every single play, whether he's making a play or not, because he's taking up so much space. It's just yeah. ridiculous. Like there is nobody, I, I don't know if there's a interior line in the country that can block him. I, SEC championship, knock on wood, nothing happens. Him versus Evan Neal is going to be, I mean, that's a lot of beef there. 
Those, those yeah. are two big boys. I'm curious to see how that matchup goes. My favorite play of the game yesterday was not on offense, did not involve a sack, did not involve an interception. There was a play in, mm, oh, I'm probably misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure it was the second quarter, I think. I think it was around midfield, maybe at UAB's 40. Tyler Johnston rolls out, or he's in the pocket. He gets flushed out of the pocket, and he's I know exactly chased. what play you're talking about. Yep. Jordan Davis <laughs> chased him down from behind, eight yards yep. behind, chased down their quarterback and tackled him on Georgia's sideline. And Georgia's sideline went absolutely apeshit because they were all so fired up because the big fella just walked the dog on the quarterback and everybody was fired up. And it was awesome. Like the next play was the scene interception, whereas Nazir just leveled him. Yes. And speaking of Nazir had a good game yesterday. He had a very good game yesterday. Yeah. That D line, man, is so, so deep. Like, they're just going to eat all day. I will say this, a little bit of intrigue on Twitter yesterday. You know, Nazir got the sack. Was it the sack or the almost sack? I can't remember which play it was. He got a sack eventually. Yeah, anyway, he did. Or Jalen Carter, was, like, punched the guy in the face. <laughs> I think it was after the sack, and Nazir was walking behind the quarterback, and he did, like, uh, uh, like a signal, like, put the quarterback to sleep, like laid his head on his hands. Like we'll put the quarterback to sleep. And so somebody like, tweeted it. Tweeted it. Well, yeah. Malik, Malik Herring responded to it and is like, if only they knew what this meant. And now I really need to know what it means. Because <laughs> apparently it doesn't just mean that they put the quarterback to sleep. So now I really want to know. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that, that, that made me laugh yesterday. But uh, yeah, so Three picks yesterday. That kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. They had three, three picks and three sacks. Great day for Havoc plays for Georgia's D. Scene's pick, I mean, was just, I mean, I don't know why the quarterback threw that. He should have just taken the sack on that one. That was, you know, a yep. terrible quarterback decision. Yep. Um, and I mean, RG3 pointed that out too. I mean, and I will say, I, I, other than him making that there's a quarterback controversy comment at Georgia after Stetson's performance yesterday, I thought RG3 was pretty impressive in the booth. I mean, he, that's the first time I've heard him. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, but <clears throat> Keeley's interception, I mean, he high-pointed that ball. That was a, just an amazing pick. That, so, was a, that was a great, great play. Can we talk and, Can we talk about Jamon Dumas Johnson's pick? Yes. Because was, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of factors around that. So that play was on the 20 in the fourth. And Jalen Kimber was playing the corner on the weak side. So UAB's on the hash. And Georgia does this a bunch. When they have short side of the field, they love to blitz the corner. They did it in the Alabama game last year. It worked a couple times. They got burned a couple times. Yeah. But they did it on that play. Jalen Kimber came on the short side blitz. And you know, what do they tell the quarterback? It was just like last week. What do you tell the quarterback? Throw back at the blitz, right? Yeah. So that's what, he, that's what he did. He threw right back where the blitz came from. And Jamon DeMoss Johnson sitting right there where he's supposed to be undercuts that route, snags it and takes it to the house. I just, I mean, we're talking about guys that are like, we're not worried. We're past like the two deep at this point. Like Jamon DeMoss Johnson's not on the two deep. So you're talking about a kid who's, 
third string freshman, knowing where he's supposed to be, making the play that you should make situationally given the defensive call. I just thought there was so much more to that play that speaks to where George's program is at and to where George's defensive depth is at than just, oh, that's a nice story. Freshman gets a pick six at the end of the game, right? Like that was a yeah. that was a cool play for a lot of different reasons. So and I mean electric for him, right? First career interception, first career touchdown, first career game at Sanford Stadium. I mean, what yeah. a what a trifecta, what a memory to to take home with him. So congratulations to him. It was a beautiful, beautiful play. Good on Jalen Kember for getting pressure because he got enough pressure where I do think Johnson got flustered and just made the throw instinctually where he's supposed to. I don't think he ever saw him. So, yeah, that was beautiful. I, the, the D, man, I just – I didn't know if they could duplicate the intensity and the speed and the fervor with which they played last week. I thought some of that was just a byproduct of the environment and of the game and all those things. They looked exactly the same yesterday. Like exactly the same. So, for, uh, and this is obviously we're putting a little, little bit put the cart for the horse. But from what you've seen in the first two weeks, who on this schedule is we're not even going to say beat them. They're not getting beat if they stay healthy. Who is giving them a less than double digit win game that's on the schedule until they get to Atlanta? Because I don't see it. That Florida team stinks. After yesterday, the only thing that I see is, is that Arkansas's defense could pose a problem if if that's li- – <laughs> like, I don't know. I want to see next week because I'm not sure if Texas is just that bad or if Arkansas's defense is that good. So, But Arkansas looked really impressive last night. I did not expect that, especially after how bad they looked against Rice. I'm mm-hmm. not saying Arkansas is going to win. I don't, I don't think – I mean, it's between the hedges. It is between the hedges, right? That game's at home. Yeah. yeah. So yep. I, I don't think I don't think Arkansas is going to win. Um, but I think that game might be a little tighter than we want, kind of like last year. Like, I think yeah. it could be very similar to last year's game. Um, but I, I mean, Auburn has everybody's like, Oh, Auburn's looks so good. They've played, you know, the sisters of the poor guys. I mean, yeah, they're playing high school teams. I, I'm and no offense to, but they're playing, they played an FCA school in what Akron. I mean, yeah. They're not playing. They're not even playing the level of competition. I mean, Alabama A and T. I don't even know who they played. It's yeah. So until they play an actual FBS school, I'm not going to even acknowledge Auburn because until Bonix, it does not impress me. It does not scare me. Uh, Bigsby's good, but I, I don't really think much of Bonix. And plus, I mean, Tennessee lost to Pittsburgh at home, so uh, <laughs> yeah. And, man, they did not look crisp. It's funny, man. And it was this way at Michigan. Joe Milton's got all the tools. And he just can't quite seem to put it together yet. I'm not saying that he won't. But, boy, did he miss some stuff on Saturday. That game could have easily been like 21 to nothing out the gate. They blocked the punt and get the touchdown to start the game. And you think, boy, they're off and rolling. Uh, They're just – they're just not very good. I mean, the East is just not good. I mean, that that's that's the crux of all this. And I think the West is going to end up coming down to Alabama. And <laughs> feels weird even saying this. Ole Miss. Like, yeah. 
that A&M team, no different than they were last year, they're just not going to score, man. Like, they, they had to go the distance with Colorado yesterday. I mean, that team ain't that good. And, and I, I feel like it was like that even before their quarterback got hurt. They're just, you know, they've got good running backs, but they don't, that's it. Their running, back, their running back depth is really good. Their offensive line is meh. Their defense yeah. is, they've got good, and they've got a solid defense. But they don't have the depth on the out. They don't have the speed on the outside to hang with anybody else. Let's talk a little bit about what we texted about yesterday. And, again, it has not mattered thus far, and it certainly didn't matter yesterday, especially oh, at the point in the game where it happened. It's making but me nervous. It's making me nervous, too, because we got two weeks now and two Jack Pod Lesney misses in the mid-30s range. And maybe we're reading too much into it, but, man, I just feel like that should be kind of automatic. And when it happens two straight weeks, you start to wonder, is he in his own head a little bit? Because even a couple of the extra points yesterday, he was hugging the upright, baby. And like, yeah. I don't know. I, I just It just gives you a little bit of pause. And, again, I don't think it's going to – even come close to mattering during the regular season. But you get into Atlanta and then you get into the CFP, it's going to matter. At some point, it's going to matter. And, man, I just hope it's something where it's just kind of a fluky thing and we're reading too much into it. But he just doesn't look like he's walking out knowing in his own mind. I'm very interested. I mean, did he miss any in the 30s, 30s range last year? Maybe one? Was he like 13 of 16 last year? Uh, he was 12 of 15. And I think, I don't, I think the only misses were in the 40s. I don't even think he missed one over 50 last year. I he think didn't all miss one over 50. The 40s. Yeah. So, yeah. So, all of his misses were in the 40s. Yeah. So, that just makes me a little bit nervous. I don't know what's going on there, but, and I hope we, hope we get that tightened up because we need him. No. Yeah. So we are we're going, to, we're, we're going to need him at some point. So yes. that, um, that, that just made me a little nervous yesterday. And dude, it, the one that came off his foot yesterday was not much different than the one from Clemson. It was n- never not going to be not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, he it wasn't. It was like, oh, he, it was like, oh, he missed that one. Yeah. So I, don't know. I don't know. It's, I, I mean, every time a kicker goes through one of these things, it's, it's, it's all usually the mental side of it. And it's, I, Absolutely. It's like a golf golf swing. And it makes me wonder how his practices are going. Because I remember when he was warming up for Clemson, I mean, we were right there on the field. I mean, he didn't miss anything warming up. Nope. Nope. So it makes me wonder what warm-ups were, makes me wonder what warm-ups were like yesterday. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I let's stay on the kicking game too. Jake Kamara had another fantastic. Oh my day. God. He is just punishing footballs. Like give him the give him the Ray guy now. <laughs> I mean, if he keeps kicking like this, he's going to win the red guy. He kicked a 60-yarder yesterday like, you know, he was making a ham sandwich. Like, just making it look easy. That thing was a boomer. I don't know. That, he's going to be a weapon. <laughs> Plus, I didn't even look, I didn't even look yesterday because I wasn't really paying attention uh, on, on these parts. But uh, was he kicking off again yesterday? Did he do all the kickoffs again? Yes, he was kicking off yesterday. Yeah. He had one that went 45 yards, and it was like a shock that it only went 45 yards. 
Yeah, dude, that kick can kick, man. He can, he can really kick. I think, too, did we talk about this when we got back from the spring game? I think it was him because I don't about think him it was kicking. Zirkle. I think Zirkle was hurt. Dude, they had him kicking field goals in the spring game, and Kirby was, like, yeah. having a good time with it. Like, yeah, we he did was talk lining about him it. up from, like, 58 yards, and, like, he was real interested to see what would happen. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. You can kind of tell that Kamara's an athlete, too, though. Like, we were watching him throw a little bit pregame. Like, he'd throw it a little bit. Like, he just seems like a good athlete. And, dude, he, he caught a couple of those in the spring game, and they would have been good from 65 if he'd actually split the uprights. It's a directional challenge. It's not a distance challenge. <laughs> like, he was just knocking the air out of footballs. It was, it was crazy. Um, there was something else I want to talk to you about from yesterday. Now I can't think what it was. Oh, this is that have anything to do with the game, but do you see what the UJ paint line did yesterday? Mm-mm. They went they went red, white, and blue. And I didn't was, notice it. Yeah, the paint line painted themselves red, white, and blue yesterday, and then they turned around. <gasps> oh, I did see it. Yeah. Yeah. And their back said never forget. I thought it was so cool. Like, I love that. 20th anniversary, September eleventh, yesterday. Um, which is in so many ways just wild to think that was two decades ago. We were both in high school. Well, no. You I was a freshman in college. Freshman in college. Yeah, it was my yeah. third week as college. I remember I was eating breakfast after my 8 o'clock class in between two classes. And I remember sitting there and the TV was on. I was like 10 tables away and I looked up and it just looked like a movie on TV. Yeah. I mean, this is the old box TVs like, you know, on the wall. Yeah. And like, I remember sitting there. I don't even remember who. I was eating breakfast with a friend or someone from class and she was from New York and she saw it and she was like, I don't think that's the movie. And then we like moved closer and just kind of sat there for like hours, just watching the news. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was taking my, uh, I was taking my ASVAB test and I came out from finishing the ASVAB to give it to my guidance counselor. And she looked like she'd seen a ghost. And I was like, what's, are you okay? Like what's wrong? She's like an airplane just hit the world trade center. You know, I hadn't seen a TV yet. So she said an airplane. I'm not thinking like, you know, maybe like a Cessna or something like something small. Cause you could see that happening if there was a mistake or something or whatever. So I went down and found my uh, AP history professor and I was like, Hey, what's going on? And this was before the second one hit. He said, it's terrorism and it's not done yet. And I remember thinking the hell is terrorism. Like, yeah, you're like 17. It's just not something that, I was thinking about, boy, he was right on the money. I ended up, I had early releases a senior anyways, but I ended up leaving school because our principal was so dense. He wouldn't allow any televisions to be on in school while it was happening. Like came out on the intercom and made an announcement. Teachers will not turn the TV on. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, so I left, I went home and um, I was watching the coverage and gosh, it was just a surreal day. And there's not, I used to, I, this was, usually I don't work September 11th. I usually take it off because I think it's one of those days you really should breathe in and remember what happened and like just, you know, sit, sit on it a little bit. And um, yeah, it, it always is somber for me. It always makes me sad. Uh, and it's, it's just wild that it's 20 years. You know, they were talking about it this week on game day and they said a lot of these kids, they, were, they, they weren't even born, born yet. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just it's hard to process, man. It's so. history to them. I mean, it's history <laughs> to our kids, which is just baffling. You know, yeah. I mean, that we were we lived it. You know, we were there. We were alive when it happened. And it's just, you know, it's crazy. That Dude, it's been twenty years. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Do you see the thing on game day yesterday? They interviewed Dave Clawson about it. Dave Clawson yeah. was current Wake Forest head coach. Was the Fordham coach on September 11th, and um, he said his sister worked on the 92nd floor of the Trade Center. So he goes, I'm watching all this happen in my office at Fordham, and I'm literally having the conversation with myself. Well, I've just lost my sister. Like my sister just died. He's like, and then we find out that her commuter train was 10 minutes late that morning, and she didn't make it to the office in time. And you're like, man, you talk about hand of God working on that, right? Like just wasn't one time for her, her, her time was not done yet. Like her mission yeah. on earth was not done yet, but then he, tr- he pivots straight from that story to then go, but one of my former players at Fordham was working on like the 97th floor and he wasn't as fortunate as my sister. And then he told the story about when Wake played in the pinstripe bowl two years ago, he took all of his players to the nine 11 Memorial and he took them to his player's name and he said, this was my guy, like somebody who was important to me, who was a player for me, a friend of mine. Like, it's not just a name on a list. Like, this was a guy just like you guys. It was, you know, typical Gene Wojciechowski piece. I was like a puddle yeah. when it was all over with. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just thought that was an awesome, awesome gesture by the paint line. And man, just such a, such a cool tribute. So, um, well, did we miss anything? Did we not cover something that you wanted to cover? I felt like we no, talked about a bunch. I think we got everything. Um, you know, we're on to South Carolina. On to South Carolina, who struggled mightily yesterday against uh, ECU, which just um, goes yeah, to show you. That, wow, that, that came out of nowhere. I, I was sweating bullets on that one. The desert knows more than all of us, as mm-hmm. usual. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we will have exciting episode this week for our preview episode. We are going to have um, former Georgia defensive back and um, player who has the most starts by a walk-on in school history, one of our all-time favorites, Aaron Davis, coming on to hang with us and, and make some picks. So we're fired up to spend some time with Aaron. Uh, we'll talk with him tomorrow and hopefully have his episode out Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so make sure and check that out as we get ready for the SEC opener between the hedges. It's looking like your boy is going to be in Athens this weekend for the South Carolina game if a couple of things fall right. So um, I hope that all works out. I uh, would love to be there for Saturday in Athens and represent the show. I mean, I feel like we have the perfectly named podcast for, for what's happening now in Athens. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, – that South Carolina team is going to have some real problems with <laughs> With that defense, <laughs> so it, it could uh, it could get it could get ugly. So I guess what we'll be tracking this week is what's going on with JT, right? If he's gonna if he's gonna come back and play, or if they give him another week, or or what's gonna go on with that. So that'll be something to monitor and watch. I will be shocked if he doesn't play Saturday. Um, all indications were he probably could have played yesterday if there was if the opponent was a little bit different. But so that'll be something to watch this week. But uh, otherwise, brother, dogs are 2-0, and looking dominant and uh, setting up for 
an exciting next 10, 11 weeks as we're trying to get ourselves back to Atlanta and set ourselves up for the CFP. So as we always say, brother, go dogs, sickle. Go dogs.